It is good to be with you and to be able to share with you today and um, pray God's blessing upon you uh, that as you work together as God's kingdom, God's people here in this place, that the Lord will will bless your efforts and that truly uh, the Lord will send revival, but he can only send revival if you allow him uh, to send revival. So don't do anything to short-circuit God's work and God's plan appreciate Archie and basically we've known each other in in the past through eating breakfast together about once a month um, with a group of ministers but it's been good to get to know a little little bit more personal basis and a little bit more fully uh, this weekend and appreciate his compassion uh, for the word of God for for the church of the Lord and for you folks here and pray that you will support him and encourage him uh, in his ministry as well. As I said, from down eastern North Carolina, and down in that area of the country, the time period from about mid-September to the end of October in the churches down there is known as the Holy Season. It is the time of revivals. And in that area, revivals aren't just meeting on the weeknights, but usually Sunday mornings, uh, either at the start of the revival or at the end of the revival, is what we refer to as homecoming. And in, in those churches, uh, many times people who grew up in those churches have moved away and are living somewhere else. And so um, they're encouraged to come home and come back to their home church and to celebrate and be there together. And they can make some big Sundays in some of those churches. A church that um, normally runs, you know, maybe in the 50s can all of a sudden have 150 on, um, on that Sunday. We had our 75th um, anniversary homecoming at the church where I was about uh, two months ago, back in the middle of, of August. And we run 30 to 40. We had 150 there for, for homecoming. But 75th anniversary kind of made it a little bit extra special, and we made a special push and all. But, but it's that time for people to come home and, and, and to be there together. And so as we think about that today, I want to share this concept of homecoming. And what kind of church is worth coming home to? And what kind of church can we call home in our life? Now, the idea of home is one that we use quite a bit within our culture and society. I know this kind of washed out a little bit, but we have home screens on our, t- on, on our computers, you know, and so we use that term home. Now, I, I just threw that there so you can see my grandkids there, um, you know, but um, we, 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 have our, we have our home screens on our computer. In, in a baseball game, the goal is to reach what? Home, yeah, that's where you score your runs, you get home. Or maybe in a board game, you try to get all of your pieces, um, used to say all your men, but that's, that's sexist, so all your, all your um, pieces uh, home uh, for, uh, to, 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 to win the game. Or think about some of the signs that, 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 that we use. On the we, we have a sign, and we hang them up in our houses, home sweet home, or home is where the heart is. Movies get in on the act here, and we have Walking My Baby Back Home. Uh, I know Hoyt loves old movies. I don't know if he's ever seen this one or not along the way, but Walking My Baby Back Home. And, of course, there's Home Alone 1 and 2. And so we get, get into this concept of, of home. Or right, what about songs that we have? Uh, uh, John Denver, uh, you know, Almost Heaven, West Virginia, you know, Take Me Home country roads or we have others you know um the, 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 the that we stress out there you know it's Leonard Skinner sweet home Alabama or from the Civil War period when Johnny comes marching home again and of course 
Tom Jones. He's there. Down the road I look, and here comes Mary. Hair of gold and lips like cherry. It's good to touch, what? The green, green grass of home. And so, so, so we have this emphasis. And who can ever forget um, Dorothy in that classic movie, The Wizard of Oz? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And we get it in the church as well in songs that we sing. You know, I've wandered far away from home. Lord, I'm coming home. Or B.J. Thomas popularized back in the 1970s, that song, you know, while I'm here, I'll serve him gladly and I'll sing him all these songs. I'm here, but not for long. Because what? I'm going home where I belong. Or we have those, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Or maybe my heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling home. This idea of home comes up all over the place, and, 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 and we see it so often. But what is this thing of a home? As, as we think about that, you know, we, we, we see these signs in the yard, house for sale or home for sale, and the big debate comes up. You can't sell a home. You know, you sell a house, a home is something that is more intrinsic. You know, a home is something that uh, you make. You know, a house is a physical structure. But then when you move into that house, you begin to make memories there. and You begin to have that, that longing for going back there. That's when it becomes a home. And so all of this emphasis that we have upon home. Maybe some of you remember the old classic television show, uh, The Real McCoys. And you remember Grandpa Amos McCoy uh, that started in that thing? Uh, and and um, this was Walter Brennan, that was his name. And Walter Brennan wasn't just a TV and, and movie actor, but he also was a recording artist. And one of his uh, songs, that uh, one of the albums that is, is, is popular is where he recites words. He doesn't sing them, but he recites those words when he says, Well, it takes a heap of living, lots of take and lots of giving. Lord, it takes a heap of living to make a house a home. Lots of work and lots of pray, uh, play and an awful lot of praying. Lord, it takes a heap of living to make a house a home. And it takes a heap of living, and it takes a heap of work, and it takes a heap of praying to make a church a place to call home. Now, oftentimes when we think about home, we have good feelings. We, we have good memories of home, and, 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 and we like the idea of going home to that place we call home. But when we think about homecoming as well, there are other things that come to mind. You know, uh, you, you, you have this thing at the homecoming where, where colleges or high schools have these homecomings where everybody comes back from the past. Last Saturday night, um, I had a homecoming of sort. It, it was my 50th class reunion from high school. And I still haven't figured out how I can be 49 years old and celebrate my 50th class reunion, but that, that's, that, that, that's, that's another story. But, but that 50th class reunion, and, and you know those, those homecomings like that, those class reunions and all, it makes liars out of usually good people. You haven't changed a bit. That's right, when I was in high school, I had gray, balding hair. 
and wore hearing aids. You know, I hadn't changed a bit you know, since, since those things. And also, but, but these times when we get back together and, and we celebrate one another, or frank and earnest, how was your high school reunion? Uh, it was Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, and so, uh, you know, this thing, of, we come together for our times of homecoming. But we recognize that homecomings can be bittersweet as well. There's the joy of coming home. There's the joy of being together with family. But also, I couldn't believe it, but they had a list in our program book of our class, and 108 members of my high school class of 1973 have passed away since that time. 108 out of a class of about 357, I believe is what we had to, to, to begin with. 108 of those have passed away. And so homecomings can also be bitter as you remember those things as well. In families, we call homecomings sometimes family reunions. And we come back together, and they can be bittersweet as well. There's something that some people look forward to with anticipation and getting together to see the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and all those folks out there. And there are others who go, but they really don't want to be there because they don't have a lot of fond memories of home. And family reunions are difficult. And one of the times that families come back together and, and, they, and they come home, of course, is at the time of funerals. Uh, I work with a funeral home as well as doing, uh, preaching on Sundays, but uh, you know, how many times you'll hear family members when they come in and somebody will come in whom they haven't seen for years, and you'll always hear the statement, somebody may say, we've got to get together sometimes besides just at funerals. You know, but you come together and, and, and there's, that, there's that tug that's there. But even at funerals, we see the bittersweet and we see the dysfunction in families. Uh, we, we've had families that, that we've come together and we're putting together a funeral for their funeral home and they will um, ask that different parts of the family be seated on different sides of the auditorium. And one part of the family will enter at this door over here and sit in these seats on this side and the other family will enter from over here and sit and see over here and never let the two cross paths with one another because you may have a war on your hands. Or we have separate visitation times for the family members to come together because they don't get along. And so one set comes from, from 4 to 6 and the other from 6.30 to 8.30. Or you, you come in there and, and so, so somebody will come up and, and they'll show you a picture. You're, you're working at the front desk and directing people to where to go for their uh, family visitation. And they'll come and they'll show you a picture. You know, uh, This is Uncle George. If he comes in, don't let him come back. We call this dysfunction and dysfunctional families. And we realize that there are dysfunctional churches as well. There are churches that some people just assume not come home to because they have bad memories. They have things that have happened there along the way that have not been pleasant and not have been meaningful. And that's nothing new. Dysfunctional churches goes way back. Matter of fact, that's the reason we have much of the New Testament. Because Paul had to write to dysfunctional churches. Paul had to write to churches that had all kinds of problems and difficulties along the way. And, and although they were the home church for people, such as Corinth or Thessalonica or Ephesus, although they were those people's home churches, 
they still had their difficulties. Although this was their family, they still had problems. And Paul had to write to them and address those problems. But in one of his letters, in 1 Thessalonians, it's a little bit different. It seems like the church at Thessalonica had things pretty much together. Now, they did have one problem. They had some misunderstandings about the second coming of Christ. But those other issues that Paul addresses in other letters do not come up in 1 Thessalonians. And so in 1 Thessalonians, we really kind of see a model church, a kind of church that would be the kind of church that people would want to come home to. It's an example. I thought it was interesting. Hoyt and I were out riding around yesterday, and we were up through Waynesville, and we were making a turn, and there was a Presbyterian church. And on the sign out front, it had 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, an example. I said, they stole my sermon. Because that's basically where we are today. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 10, and we're seeing the church at Thessalonica as a church that is an example for us of a church that one should be willing and happy to call home. So as we begin looking at this uh, church to call home, notice how Paul starts this letter off. He says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, Let's understand um, letter writing in the first century. Today, when we write a letter, we say, dear so-and-so, and, so, and we, we have the salutation, and we address who is receiving the letter. And then at the end of the letter, we say, sincerely, uh, love, yours truly, uh, love in Christ, or whatever we might say, and then we put our name. In the first century, letters were written, and the writer of the letter identified himself or themselves. And so this is a letter from Paul and Silas and Timothy. So he says, Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church, and that word there means the assembly of people, to the church or to the assembly of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you continually mentioning you in our prayers and so Paul is looking at this church at Thessalonica and he says I am so thankful for you folks I am so glad to call you brothers and sisters in Christ and I just give God thanksgiving for you and then Paul goes to list several reasons why he is thankful for the church at Thessalonica and I think these things that he lists here in first Thessalonians chapter one are some points that are good for us to consider in a church that we would call home. As we follow along here, we see the first thing that he says is that a church to call home displays those spiritual qualities that are inspired by Christ. Notice what, what he says here. He says, we remember, we, we are thankful for you. Why? Because we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says there. Paul say, says there are three characteristics of Christ that you are exhibiting in your life as a church. Faith and love and hope. Now, this is not the only time Paul ever uses these three words together. If you read different of his epistles, he talks about faith and hope and love. They, they are words that just kind of flow together. Matter of fact, walking down your hallway uh, toward the other end, and there are three signs on the wall, faith, hope, and love. 
And the, these are qualities and characteristics that, that are important for a church. You remember Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and Corinth had all kinds of problems in it. But he writes that great love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he ends up by saying, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so when Paul writes to this church at Thessalonica, he says, I am so grateful for you because you are exhibiting the qualities that are found in Jesus Christ because of your faith and your hope and your love. Our faith and our love, faith in God, our love for God and our love for others, produce in us labor, producing in us this serving one another. We talked last night a little bit about serving and, and our role as servants following the example of Jesus. And we do that because we have faith in God and we have love for God and love for others. And he says, I am so grateful for the faith and the love that you are exhibiting. And because of that faith and love, you have hope. See, faith and love are being expressed in the present. But we recognize that the reward is in the future. We have the hope beyond. Sometimes we practice faith and we practice love here on earth and we might get kicked in the teeth. There might be people who do not accept our expressions of love, who do not, do not appreciate the faith that we have. And Paul said, that's okay. Keep going because we have hope. There's hope that keeps us moving forward. And a church that continues to practice faith and love because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a church that's worth calling home. It's a good place to call home. Another principle we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is that a church to call home is a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of Christ. Paul goes on and he says to, to the church, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. In other words, the church at Thessalonica has this deep-seated conviction of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's there because the Holy Spirit is working together through the Word of God, bringing that conviction and bringing that, that, that hope that they have in Jesus and, and so he says to them, you are inspired by this hope. He says, what you have isn't just a head knowledge of God, but you have a heart response. You see, there's a lot of people who attend church who have a head knowledge of God. They say, yes, I believe in God, and I believe that God created the world. Yes, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Yes, I believe in heaven, and that's the ultimate des destination for followers of Christ. They have hid knowledge. They may be able to quote every book of the Bible in order. They may be able to quote verses of Scripture. They have a lot up here. But guess what? They're missing it in here. And they don't have a heart for God. And they live a life like the rest of the world. Didn't show up on Sunday mornings, thinking that they've got it all together. But Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, you are greater than that. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
and you have not just a hid knowledge, but you have a deep conviction in your life that these things are true, and you are living out these principles in your life. And a church where those principles are lived out, a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, is a church worthy to call home. But Paul doesn't end there. He also says that a church to call home imitates the life of Christ himself. He says to, to the church there, he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In other words, in another place, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so he says, you are imitating my faith because my faith is an imitation of the faith of Jesus. You are following in that way. And he goes on to say, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message amid, in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. They have this thing about Christ in their life, and they have responded to the gospel of God. And he says, you are firm and you are steadfast in that conviction. You are steadfast in imitating Christ in your life. Now, what does it mean to imitate Christ? People say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. And that's well and good. We should love like Jesus. You know, I, I, I want to have a prayer life like Jesus. And that's well and good. But Peter talks about imitating Jesus, and he says this, Christ has left you an example. Christ has left you an example. But what is that example, does Peter say? Suffering. Now, when we talk about imitating Christ, do we include that? I want to be like Christ. I want to suffer like Christ did. <laughs> we don't say that. But the church at Thessalonica was willing to do that. They were imitating Christ. And he says to them, in the midst of your severe suffering, or in spite of your suffering, they were suffering for their faith. And that's true. In the first century, they, they suffered for their faith. Think about what was going on. These people who were coming to Jesus and making a stand for Jesus, they were suffering from every angle. They were suffering from the Roman world because Christians were standing up and saying, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. And the Romans didn't like that. They were suffering from fellow Jews because Jew many of the Jews had rejected that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and they were being persecuted by their fellow Jews. They were catching it from every angle. They, they were losing connections with their families because families were divided over the belief in Jesus Christ. And some people were being ostracized from their families because they believed in Jesus. But Paul says, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the difficulties that you're going through in your life, you are remaining faithful. He says, so you're suffering. But then he makes a little twist here. He says, in spite of the severe suffering... You have joy. What? We hear that. We say, how in the world can you have joy in the midst of suffering? Well, it's because sometimes we mistake the words joy with happiness. And they're two different words with two different meanings. 
happiness comes from the same word as the word happens. We are happy because of what happens. Happiness is this emotional feeling. Joy, deeper than that. Joy is present even when things aren't happening too well. Joy is present when things are going wrong all around you. And Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, you are going through suffering, but those things that are happening around you do not rob you of the joy that you have in Jesus Christ because of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. So they're continuing to move forward. And a church like this is a church worthy to be called home. Another principle that Paul gives here is that a church to call home is a beacon for the work of Christ as well. Back when I was a kid, um, my family moved from, from Williamston over to Greenville. We left the small town and moved to the big city. And, 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 and so, so, so we moved over, over to Greenville. And my mom and dad were gone one weekend shortly after that. So I stayed with my cousin who lived out um, between, out near um, uh, Williamston. Matter of fact, lived on Princeton Camp Road, just about a mile up from, from Kurt's truck, uh, church uh, out there. And so, um, but I, I spent the weekend with them. And then my uncle um, drove me back, along with my cousin, drove me back home to Greenville on Sunday night where my mom and dad were supposed to come back home. And so we're there sitting in the driveway. Mom and Dad hadn't got back yet. So we're sitting there in the driveway. It's dark. And we kept seeing this light flash through the sky. And a few seconds later, there it goes again. What in the world is going on? What, what is that? You know, that's a bunch of country folks here in the city now. We don't know what's happening here. And so, but we keep seeing this light going by. And so my uncle got curious, and he started the car up, and he started driving, and we kind of kept watching the light flash and trying to find it. And we ended up driving all the way across town. And we got to this little store that was just opening. And it was one of those lights, those big beacon lights, you know, that sits there and goes around. And it was letting people know that this new store was opening up. The light did its job. It's called a beacon. And it did its job. It brought us all the way across town to see what was going on and where this light was coming from. Now, we didn't go and buy anything, so I guess the beacon didn't totally fulfill its purpose. But, but at least we drove all the way across town. But it was a light that was shining that got our attention and drew us to that place. And that's what Paul says about the church at Thessalonica. Notice what he says there. Um, He's, he's in verse 7. He says, and so you became a model, a type, a pattern. You became a model to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Paul says, your sphere of influence, your light has reached out beyond yourself. He says, your, your light, your, your example, your testimony isn't just in Thessalonica where, where you are. He says, it has reached out to Macedonia and Achaia. Now, what's he saying there? Well, Thessalonica is in the area of Macedonia. So he says, your example has moved out beyond your city limits. And people in the surrounding area, the country around you, know about your faith. But not only that, it has also reached Achaia. Achaia is a 
is the, is the area south of Macedonia. And he says, people in, in Achaia know about your faith. Your, your light is just reflecting everywhere, and people know about your faith in the Lord because the word is springing forth. So what about us? Do people in the surrounding area know about the faith and the hope and the joy of Oak Grove Christian Church? See, that's, that's what Paul is saying. He said, the people around know that something's happening in Thessalonica. They've heard the testimony. They've heard the word. They know that something's happening. You're making a difference in the world. And a church that's doing those kinds of things is a church worthy to be called home. It's a church worth going to. It's a church where the message is ringing out. Let's move on. We also see that a church to call home is a church that practices repentance toward Christ. Notice what is going out about this message. In Macedonia and Achaia and throughout the world, other people are telling there about how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's not, you know, the people around in Macedonia and Achaia are talking about how great a worship band you have. You know, that, that's the way we build churches today. The, the greatest worship band, you know, or how magnificent your building is, or how erudite your preacher is. You know, and, and that's what shines. Now, what's shining here? He says, the word that's going out is that you folks have changed. You folks have repented. You folks are different. And everybody, everywhere I go, is talking about that. Can you imagine Paul as a preacher going into the next country, you know, several miles away, and he hears people saying, man, I've heard about what's happening at Thessalonica. I've heard how those people are turning from their sins, how people are turning from their idolatry and are turning to Christ along the way, how they have turned from idols to follow the true God. Now we say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's okay. We, we don't have idols today. You know, yeah, they had idols back in the old times, but we don't have idols today. No, we still have idols today. An idol is anything that gets in the way of your relationship with Christ. An idol is anything that takes precedence over your relationship with Jesus. An idol for a church is anything that becomes more important than the proclamation of Jesus and that Jesus is the answer. What are some idols that we face in the church today? One is the idol of traditionalism. Traditionalism. Well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, there's nothing wrong with some of the ways we've always done it, if they're still working. <laughs> We're talking about revivals the other day. Some people say, revivals, they, they're, they, they're a no-no. Don't do revivals. They, they don't work anymore. Well, that depends. Do you work it? Revivals still have effect in some places. So it's a good tradition. Now in other areas, they may not have the same impact, so you don't do it. So you have tradition. But sometimes we worship our traditions, and our traditions become more important than the proclaiming of the gospel of Christ. Traditionally, you know, we used to just have a piano. Now you got this other stuff up here, you know. And some people say, oh, that's, that stuff's wrong. You know, the guitar, the drums, you know, that's wrong. That's, that's of the world. 
No. No. It's just a change. It's different. You, know, <laughs> you want to be a traditional church, we've got to get rid of the piano because in the first century church, they didn't have a piano. That was something that was added somewhere along the way. And so we add these other things that help us to do and accomplish our will and our purpose. And so some, but sometimes we get in the tradition. Or what about the times we meet? You, know, uh, you ever tried to change the time of a worship service? Man, you thought you were changing scripture. You know, as they come along, you know, and, 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 all, you know, and some people say, uh, you know, we, we always meet at 10 and 11. So I say, well, well, we have some people in our church who, um, you know, are, like to do some things as a family on Sunday afternoon. So why don't we do an earlier service? So you know, or you're just accommodating the people. You're just making it easier for the people. They need to cover time. Why do we meet at 10 and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings? Because of the agricultural society that the church was in when it first began. People had to get up, and they had to take care of the chores around the farm. Then they would go to church. So why did we start church at 10 or 11 o'clock? To accommodate the needs of the people. So if you're saying, let's do an earlier service so that families can do this later in the day, what are you doing? You're just accommodating the needs of the people. It's not right or wrong. And so, but tradition gets in the way sometimes. Here's one that's really an idol in the church today, I tread lightly here, but politics. There are too, too, too many churches who focus more on politics and a political party and a political leader, thinking that that's the answer for the world. And it's not. Jesus is the only answer. And if we spend as much time as some of these churches promoting Jesus, and promoting the word of God, and they're promoting a political party and a political ideology, it'd be so much better. The idol of politics has so gotten into the church, and we need to move beyond that. And so he says, you know, hey, the folks around here, they're talking about how you turn from these other things, and you're focusing on God and God alone. And that's a church worthy to call home. And then one last thing about a church worthy to call home is this is a church that's longing for the second coming of Christ. It talks, he talks about how you are waiting for the Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They were focused on Jesus coming again. And that's where we need to have our focus as well. We need to be focused on this idea that what we're doing here on this earth is something preparing us for the future. This world is not my home, we sing, but what, how do we live? We live like this is our home. But this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Abraham understood this. Notice the word, uh-oh, let me, let me jump here. Uh, there it is. Uh, notice, how, notice how Abraham recognized. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place that would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. That's what we are here on earth. We are strangers in a foreign land. We are aliens in this country. He goes on and says, he lived in tents as did Isaac 
and Jacob, who were heirs with of the, him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And that's what we're doing. We're looking forward to a new home, to a new country, to a new place whose architect and builder is God himself. What did Jesus say to his disciples? They're following the time together in the upper room. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a home for you, and I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself. And so a little bit later in 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks to the church about this. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. A heavenly homecoming. Oh, hopefully you enjoy coming home each week to this place, to your church home. And you, but that's nothing compared with the home that's yet awaiting. The home that's coming in Jesus Christ, our heavenly home. Paula Stefanovich, uh, tremendous songwriter, she wrote the song that kind of popular day by the Hoppers, um, Jerusalem. She wrote another song called Finally Home. L listen to these words. She says, I'm looking for the day he comes again when lonely hearts will cease to cry, when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I cannot wait to see him face to face and all my burdens I'll lay down and forevermore I'll be reigning with him. I cannot wait to bow before his throne and cast my crowns at his feet. Then forevermore my soul will be free for I'll be home, finally home. When Jesus comes back in the clouds, what a grand and glorious day it's going to be. And in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed, and like him we shall be. Then all the saints are going to rise when at last the Savior's face we see, and we'll be home, finally home, there to live with him eternally. Well, hopefully we love our church home, but hopefully we're longing for our heavenly home and meeting our Lord there. Maybe today you need to be prepared for that heavenly home. Maybe today you need to make those turns that the church at Thessalonica did, turning from idols and turning to follow and to live for the living and the true God. Maybe it's sin that needs to be erased through the waters of Christian baptism. Maybe it's repentance that you need to make in your own mind where other things become more important to you than Jesus Christ and the work of the church. Maybe today is a day to come home to our Lord.